Well, so glad you are all here with us today. It's really good to see you guys. Um, all those in first service send their love. And those of you who are watching online right now, we miss you. We're so glad that you're joining us. And those who are watching later on, you're loved as well. And we're glad that you um, tuned in later on. So we're, <coughs> we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So if you want to turn there, we're going to look at the first 24 verses, Lord willing, of Luke chapter 10. I won't read the whole 24 verses, but I do think I'll read uh, just the first, um, <coughs> excuse me, just the first uh, couple of verses of chapter 10. And then I want to pray one more time and then we'll get into it together. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And Father, we pray that as we get into this section, Lord, you would indeed motivate us. You would indeed show us, Lord, convince us, please, by your Spirit, convince us, uh, Lord, of the fact that you want to use us to take the message of your gospel out to the world. Lord, we thank you so much that this is the case. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who may listen to this later on, uh, Lord, that they would know that... Uh, that they're hearing something that you sent forth for them to hear. And they would turn to you and find faith in you. Please, Father, do what only you can do in our hearts. Do what only you can do through this service. In Jesus' name, amen. So you might remember a couple weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 9, of course, and we saw Jesus uh, appointing and sending out the 12 disciples whom he called apostles. And we'll see a lot of similarities between the things that he called those 12 to do and the things that he's going to call these 72 to do. And there's a really important lesson in there for us because if Jesus would have only sent out the 12, if we wouldn't have had a gospel account where he also sends out these 72, we may have kind of concluded that this great commission that we'll look at a bit later, this call to go out and make disciples, to, to preach the good news to anyone who will listen, this call is only really for those 12, or maybe for the professional guys who get paid to do so. We might have kind of come up with that wrong conclusion. But the Lord does this for a very specific reason. He does this because he wanted these people to experience what he wanted them to experience, to grow how they wanted them to grow. But he also wanted future audiences like us, future Jesus followers like us, to realize that He's called us to do something. And, and I want to talk about today not so much how we do this, though we'll, we'll talk about some bits about how we are to, 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 to bring the message out. But I want to talk about why. Why does Jesus send? Why does he send people out into the world? And so we're going to look at three reasons for that. The first one is this. I, I, I want us to see the first one is that he sends us because he cares about people. Jesus cares about people. 
Now, as we just read in verse 1 of chapter 10, that little phrase, after this, reminds us of what just happened or points us back to what just happened. And we talked about this last week that, that we saw that Jesus, as he <coughs> uh, had just foretold his death, he was clear to his disciples again to remind them that he was heading towards the cross. And they get an argument about who's the greatest. And uh, we, we see the situation where, where John tries to shut down uh, the guy who's casting out demons in Jesus' name. And, of course, Jesus says, don't, don't do that. He's not against us. Uh, we, we see how Jesus goes into uh, a Samaritan village where he's going to be, or he wants to go into a Samaritan village, but they don't want him there. So he just bypasses because he's got his head, his face set towards Jerusalem. And then as he's on his way, we see these three, this interaction with these three different people uh, who, who Jesus challenges to follow him. One says, I'll follow you. Jesus says, well, will you actually, here's the cost. Think about this. Another, another he says to the, another man, you follow me. And the, and the gentleman says, well, I, I have to take care of my, my family first and so on and so forth. And so it's in the context of these, these people who have said, I think I want to follow Jesus, but when they actually count the cost, they say, I don't want to follow Jesus, that Luke wants to connect the sending out of the 72. It's like he wants to say, yeah, there's going to be those who don't follow, but there's also going to be those who do follow, and part of following Jesus is going out for him and with him. Now, it says specifically that the Lord appoints 72. Now, some of you may have a version that says 70. Anybody here have a version, a version that says 70? Yeah. And there's a reason for that. In fact, it's an important reason that kind of helps us understand why Jesus is doing this. Um, if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 10, you would see in Genesis 10 a list of different nations. And in some versions, there's 70 nations. and other versions, there's 72 nations listed. And part of that is because in, in uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament... That, that, which would have been the version that the apostles would have read, it actually lists 72 nations. And so what's going on here is, is that Jesus is appointing 72 uh, missionaries, you might say, because he's wanting to, to bring out a point that his plan is to send people out to the nations. This is, even though these guys specifically probably would have only gone to Hebrew villages, Jewish villages, there's a lesson here for us for the future. He's foreshadowing what he would do when he sends us the apostles out, which we'll see later, to all the world with the gospel. And so he's got a very, and, and, and he's, he's got a, a purpose in this. He's, he's really intentional about this. And so when he sends these 72 out, he says to them, listen, he sends them to places where he's going to go. And in verse 2 it says, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, this is important to understand. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say the harvest is pitiful. But at least we got 72 people to send out. We'll make this quick work. It'll be over soon. No, he doesn't say that. He says the harvest is plentiful. There, there's so much opportunity for, for sowing and reaping here. It's too bad we only have 72 people to send out. And so he, he says really, really clearly, he says, therefore, verse 2, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. In other words, he wants us to be really clear. He wanted these 72 that he sent out to be clear. He wants us to be really clear that the problem, there's not a lack of, of, of fruit to be harvested. There's a lack of laborers to harvest it. 
And I think part of this is that we, we, we tend to think of harvesting just only as harvesting. We tend to think of, well, I, I, I want to go out, share, with someone, share Jesus with somebody, and they're instantly going to become a Christian. But the truth is, it, just, it rarely happens like that. Often what you have is, and you see this kind of even kind of talked about in the scripture, is you have someone like the Apostle Paul who goes to Corinth, preaches the gospel, right? Plants a whole bunch of seeds. Then he leaves, and then Apollos comes. He waters those seeds. And then at the end of the day, it's God who gives the increase, is what the scripture says. And so the point is, is that there's plenty of hearts to plant and water, and by the grace of God, harvest. We just need more labors. Jesus says, pray for this. And it's always good for us to pay attention when Jesus says to pray for something, isn't it? Because if, if Jesus is telling us to pray for something, there's a really good chance God's going to answer that prayer. He's going to say yes to that prayer. And, and here's the, the exception, because he's calling us to do something here. We're, 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 <coughs> excuse me. We're not trying to overcome God's reluctance, like God doesn't really want to save people. We're trying to grab onto his willingness. In fact, this is so important for us. If we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to be the kind of people that really want to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to share the gospel, not out of guilt, but out of a conviction that he loves people and he wants to save people. This is what we really need to see. We, we read this. In fact, Peter, one of the 12 apostles, he would write this later on in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He would say, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to come again, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to turn from their sin and turn to him. This is why the Lord Jesus hasn't come back. This is not uh, him being harsh. This is him being caring. When the scripture teaches this, that God is kind of holding back, we, we all want the Lord to come back and fix this world, don't we? We, we, we long for, for to, to have the world that we, we all want, a world where righteousness reigns, a world where there's real justice and real equity and, and, and things actually happen the way they're meant to happen. Relationships are the way they're meant to be. We long for this and we think, how long, Lord? And the Lord says, just a little bit longer, I'm still wanting to save people. Think about that. Now, Jesus wants to save those that we're sent to. We, we have to believe this if we're going to go out. But also, listen, Jesus wants to grow those people that he sends. He wants to grow us as we go. Now, we've seen some of this before with the Senate of the Twelve, but I want you to notice this in verses 3 to 7. I'm going to read through these verses, and I want you to kind of just maybe pay attention, underscore maybe some of the, some of the, the phrases that are here. In verse 3, it says, go your way. Jesus says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Underscore that. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Underscore that bit. Greet no one on the road. Whenever, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Maybe underscore that bit too. Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to him. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Now again, we talked about 
some of these things, specifically the idea that, that Jesus sends these guys out and says, look, I don't want you to go to the nicest house in the village and knock on that door thinking that's where I have the best bed and the best dinner, and so this is where I want to stay. Now, he, he didn't want them to f- kind of uh, follow those, those lines of maybe a typical uh, Jewish itinerant preacher who may be tempted to do that. He says, no, you go to whatever place will welcome you and whatever they serve you, eat it and be content with what's there because this is a good way for you to learn to see how God provides as you stick uh, to the mission. But more than that, he, he uses these specific phrases that are important for us to understand and, and, and because they, they tell something about how we're going to grow as we go, okay? He says he sends us out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I was saying in first service, I really don't like being called the lamb. I want to be the wolf. I don't want to be a wimpy little lamb. But actually, this is what we are. Aren't we? We're the sheep of his pasture. We, we are those that, that all go astray, that he chases down and rescues, right? But more than that, the principle here is that as lambs before wolves, that is, he's saying, I'm calling you to go out and be vulnerable. I'm calling you to go out and be vulnerable. Now, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at arguing. I'm pretty good at, at, at winning arguments with people. But you know what I found? I might be able to win an argument with somebody, but I can win an argument and lose the person. It's so easy to do. And yet we're not called to go out and be salesmen. We're not called to go out and be debaters. We're called to go out as lambs before wolves, to be vulnerable, to simply point to our good shepherd. When he says, greet no one, this is not Jesus saying, be rude. You know, this is not Jesus saying, ignore people. The the greetings in in, in that day and in those cultures, they were complex things. You had to consider what your social status was, what their social status was. There was a lot of interaction. There's even a bit of ceremony. There might be an expectation to go to one's house and spend hours with that person. And so Jesus is not saying don't engage with people. It's just the opposite. He's saying, I want you to go to the villages and engage with people about me. Don't get caught up in these kind of social niceties. And again, that's a lesson for us, isn't it? It's easy for us to to kind of think about what we often call friendship evangelism. Let's just be friends with our neighbors for about 15 years, and then we'll bring Jesus up to them. But he's saying, no, 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 we we need to be more intentional than that. We need to, we don't want to kind of just dive in there and and kind of be so aggressive with the, the, the gospel that we freak everybody out. But we also don't want to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until they ask. We want to be intentional to proclaim what he wants us to proclaim. Now, this is tricky because there are a few people, there might be a few people at Servants Church that are the type that would kind of go right about Jesus, to write, to talk about Jesus before they should be. They should wait a little bit, listen a little bit before they start talking about Jesus. But if we're honest, most of us are a bit cowardly. Most of us are a bit too afraid of looking foolish. But Jesus, when he says, Greet no one, he said, I want you to prioritize the purpose, my purposes in having you send out and still leaving you in this place. And lastly, that phrase, peace be to this house. This is a typical Jewish greeting. Shalom to this house, peace to this house. I hope this, it's like saying we, we, we desire that things in this house be as God intended them to be. That's the idea there. 
And so the, the idea here is, he, it's like as you go to these places, bring up this idea that any sort of believing Jewish person would want. Yes, we want things to be as God intends them to be. So when they hear this phrase, they say like, amen, shalom to you too. All this, yes, we want that as well. And the idea there is they're looking for that open door. If they want to see things as they should be, God's kingdom to come, then they can go, well, we have good news for you. <laughs> God's kingdom has come. And so there, there's some, it's, it's, it's important for us to think about what he's wanting us to do. And there's something about the, the, doing these things, of, about being willing to be vulnerable, about prioritizing God's purposes with the gospel, getting the gospel out to people, and about sort of seeing, okay, who should we sh- uh, share with, who should we not share with, trusting God's leading in that as we have these, these conversations, as we greet people and stuff. There's something about doing this that actually helps us to grow. See, Jesus doesn't just love the people that he's sending us to. Jesus loves us. And in calling us to go, he's wanting us to experience something of his goodness. He's wanting us to know something of of his love for, for, for us. So that's the first thing. He sends out because Jesus cares for people. The second thing is Jesus sends out because he has all authority. He has all authority over heaven and earth, and therefore he sends out people in that authority. So let's look at this, verses 8, verse 8 to 11. And Jesus says to these guys, he says, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, now do you see see what Jesus is saying here? And we we talked about this again when Jesus sends out the 12. He sends out the 12 and he tells them, if you go to a place, a town, and they won't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. It was a sense of saying, okay, God's kind of said, okay, if you don't want my kingdom, then that's a judgment that you're putting on yourself. We're kind of, in a sense, marking this place as unclean. Now, again, this is not Jesus being harsh. This is Jesus being good. This is Jesus caring enough for these people for them to recognize that there's a consequence if you reject. Now, here's what this, this really, here's what really impacts me, yeah, impacts me about this, is that whether these villages respond in favor of of the gospel of the kingdom, or they reject this gospel of the kingdom brought by Jesus' disciples. Either way, listen, it doesn't change the reality of God's kingdom. Our response does not change the reality of who God is or what he's doing. If, if you don't believe in Jesus, guess what? It doesn't mean he, doesn't, he isn't real. He isn't who he said he is. If you think there's no such thing as God, it really doesn't change that there is such thing as God. What we believe doesn't change reality. It just changes our experience of it. And so there's a real sense that Jesus wants these guys to understand this. He wants their, his authority to be seen, that his authority is not just him trying to, he's not just trying to buck for authority. He's not just trying to find a place where he can get a foothold. He already has authority. And, and individuals either receive that or reject it. And either way, the kingdom of God still has come with the king. But, but more than that, look at verse 12. In verse 12 it says, um, he says, and I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Who has heavy. You guys remember the Old Testament story of Sodom and Gomorrah? 
uh, an area so wicked that, that even though Abraham's uh, nephew Lot lived there, uh, Abraham was afraid that God was going to just wipe the whole thing out and Lot would be stuck in there as well. You guys remember that story? And of course, what happens? Abraham kind of barters with God. Hey, if there's 50 righteous, will you save the town? Yes, God says 50. What about 20? What about 10? And he's kind of trying to barter in a sense with God. And finally, it gets to the point that God says, okay, it's enough. And, and he sends the angels to judge. And, and this, is a, this is a place where it was so corrupt that basically people thought it would be acceptable to gang rape a, a visitor. Pretty heinous stuff. Now, now, Jesus is saying that for those places that refuse to believe that he was the king bringing the kingdom, it's going to be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's heavy, isn't it? It's hard for us to hear stuff like this. It's, it, it, we almost have to remind ourselves, this is Jesus saying this. Now, now, the reason it's important for us to see this is because though our response doesn't change uh, God's reality... It does change our experience. And this is why we want to plead with people. We want them to know, listen, this is not a joke. This is not just, here's a way for you. And this is really hard because, let's be honest, you know, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christianity was the way, and the Western world saw Christianity as the way. They might have thought, I don't really like the way, but it's the way. I don't really enjoy the way, but it's the way. Christianity is the way. Jesus is the way. And then we came to a, to a place in the last maybe 150, 200 years, more so it's been, it's been changing rapidly, but a place where it's kind of like, well, Jesus might be a way. If it works for you, great. If Jesus works for you, that's good for you. I'm not really into this Jesus stuff. But now we're getting to a place where people say, uh, no way. Jesus is dangerous. Following Jesus is, threatens what we think is the highest ideals, which... Oh, <laughs> Ironically, often those ideals came from Christianity in the first place. But, but it's important for us to see that Jesus is saying, listen, you can, we can think those things, but it doesn't really matter because the truth is, especially for those of us as Jesus followers, we're still supposed to say, this is the Jesus that everybody has to respond to. This, this is the king and the kingdom that God is offering to rescue people. And we preach without authority. That's actually what the word preach means. Preach doesn't mean, okay, sometimes I think we think teaching is when you just kind of calmly explain. Preaching is when you thump your, your fist in the pulpit. But it's got nothing to do with that. Teaching is explaining the truth. Preaching is proclaiming the truth. This is what God says. That's preaching. And so when, we, when we're preaching, in fact, we don't like that because we, we have that word now, preachy. It's a bad word. Don't be preachy, Right? Because nobody likes somebody who's saying, this is truth. But Jesus calls us to say, this is truth. Not in an arrogant way, but in a, in a, in a simple way. Well, this is what Jesus says. This is what he claims to be. Now, if you look at verse 16, this is really even more mind-blowing. Because in verse 16, it says, the one who hears me, Jesus says, and the, uh, I'm sorry, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Now he says this after listing several other towns and cities that he says, look, it, you know, in the Old Testament towns that were judged, if these New Testament towns would have listened, they, they, I'm sorry, if the Old Testament towns would have listened to what these New Testament towns heard, they would have turned a long time ago. 
But what I really want us to, to understand here in verse 16 is that our participation in, in bringing this gospel out, it doesn't dilute Jesus' authority one bit. Now, I am not saying these things because I'm convinced that I'm right. We cannot share the gospel just being convinced that we're right. But we must share the gospel convinced that Jesus is right. Do you see the difference? Because whether or not I am fully convinced he's right, he's still right. And whether or not I, I am as, as credible as a witness as I should be doesn't change the fact that he still is who he said he is. Now there's something hopeful in this for us because it, this is, this is, uh, it's good for us to think that the authority that we have or the authority that we've been sent out in, it's not an authority that we work up or an authority that we earn by living just perfect lives. It's Christ's authority. It's not our great arguments that make the difference. It's Christ's authority. In fact, this is how he sends out. This is Jesus speaking. This is the, you guys know this, right? The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. This is Jesus after he's been crucified, after he's been resurrected, right before he ascends to heaven. Here's what he does. Here's how the information or the instructions he gives to his followers. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to think about this for a second. If Jesus really cares about people and he wants them to know the truth, he wants them to be forgiven and saved and redeemed and restored. If he really wants that, and he has all authority to bring that to pass. And he promises to be with us by his Holy Spirit to make sure this does come to pass. Aren't those some pretty good motivation for us to go out? To, to, to take this message to people? To try at least to engage with people about this message? This is why he sends. Because he cares about people and because he has all authority. Now lastly, and this is... This is the one to me that gets, gets me the most excited. And in fact, I have to say it was great. After service, I had two really great conversations with people um, who were just coming to faith. And it was so exciting to kind of see God working in their hearts as we were sort of talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And this is a, kind of just a, maybe a slight taste of what these 72 experienced. Look at verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, I've personally never cast out a demon, okay? I've never done that. I'm not sure if I've even seen someone demon-possessed, possibly, but I, I'm not sure. But I've never actually cast out a demon. I'm sure it's a kind of a crazy experience to be able to do something like that, Okay? But, but here's what I have experienced. I have experienced ministry where it was so obvious that God was powerfully moving in somebody. Sometimes it was like clearly supernatural. Sometimes it was just obviously that something impactful was happening in their hearts. And I have to say, man, it is exciting. There is a great joy in God-empowered ministry. There really, really is. Because I was saying to the, the first service this morning, I've done a lot of kind of exciting things. I, uh, when I was younger, I was, I was into, into some more kind of extreme sports. I, I used to do free climbing, and I've, I've surfed like double overhead waves. That's where the peak of the wave would be almost to 
the top of that roof, scary stuff, like you're going to die. And it was a rush. It was like, wow, this is great. It's nothing compared to being used by God and seeing God work in someone's life. It is a blessing when you know God's working in someone's life. It's tough because a lot of times we don't know God's working in someone's life. That's the hard part. But I, I don't want to dismiss this. There is something exciting about being used of God. The scripture testifies of that, and we shouldn't be shying away from it. Like, oh, it's never going to happen. It's never going to be exciting. No, it can be pretty amazing. But they rejoice in this. They're excited. Lord, this is great. Even in your name, this happens. And Jesus even confirms that this is a ministry that, that they are to have. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, I saw when that guy got booted out. And this is why you have authority to do these things. He says in verse 19, Behold, I give you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, serpents and scorpions, don't think like snake handlers. You can handle snakes and play with snakes. It's okay. That's not a good idea. Don't do that. Okay? This is, these, these are kind of just uh, images or metaphors for evil spirits. And the point is, Jesus is saying, look, I, I know that the enemy's been judged, and I... I'm giving you authority over him. You, you, he, you're not a slave to what he does. You can come against the enemy. What a, it's a really powerful, exciting thing. And yet in all this, what happens in verse 20? In all this, Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's like Jesus is saying, yes, yes, spirit-empowered ministry, God-empowered ministry is an amazing experience, but there's a, even a greater joy in simply knowing that you have an eternal hope in Jesus. The scripture tells us that we are to wait for power, that we need God's power to do what he's called us to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Jesus kind of telling the disciples right before he ascends to heaven as well, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit because it's, it's the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to do what I've called you to do. But actually, Peter also writes about God's power, but in a different context. He says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, he says, <clears throat> believers by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice that though, for, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, that though you don't see him, you don't now see Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So yes, we need the power of the Spirit to, to <clears throat> do the ministry God's called us to, and there's a joy in that. But we also need the power of the Spirit to keep us through difficult times. And even in the difficult times, there's a place for joy. A joy inexpressible, full of glory. Now I have to say, I've experienced this all too rarely. That kind of Joy inexpressible and full of glory, all too rarely, where I've just been overwhelmed with how good it is to be the Lord's, to belong to Him. But this is so important for us. Do, we have to realize that one of the reasons Jesus sends people out, remember this is the context of the 72 and being sent out, that these things are being brought up. That he says, you know, no, yeah, it's great that you experience that great joy and being used powerfully by, by, by our God. But, but you know what? You need to rejoice in the fact that you have an eternal hope no matter how difficult things get. 
<laughs> There's always a teenager that leaves their phone on. <laughs> now, it, it's, it's important that we, we see what's going on because he, he kind of goes from, okay, there is a joy in, in this God-empowered ministry. There's a greater joy and eternal life. But he says there's even a greater joy than this. Look at verse 21. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is amazing because the word for rejoiced here is a slightly stronger word than the words that been used earlier in this text. So, so before it was like, they were like, man, this is really great that we uh, had this power. It was great. This is like a really strong word. It's like a jumping for joy. It's like it's like being just, you, you can't hold back expressing joy. It's very clear uh, very, very, or very similar to what we read in 1 Peter. That Jesus, when these guys come back, he says, yeah, it's, I'm glad that you, uh, you were excited. I'm glad you got to, to experience what it was like to be used by God. And, but make sure you know how great it is that you belong to God, that you have this eternal hope because of, of my coming. But even more so, he himself rejoices in something even greater. There's something that got Jesus more excited than the gospel going out, more excited than, than his, his followers knowing they have eternal life. And this is what it was. Look at verse 21. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and he says, he prays, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is, was your gracious will. And all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, man, there's, there's a lot of great meaty theology here that we, I'd love to unpack, but really here's what I want you to understand, okay? That what Jesus is talking about here is the fact that he reveals, Jesus being God the Son, reveals God the Father in a way that's absolutely unique. That, that when, when Jesus calls himself the Son, or when the Father refers to Jesus as my beloved Son, he, they're, they're describing an eternal relationship that's always been, a relationship that is the fullness of joy. It's the standard of joy. And he's excited that basically that, that what God's doing, what the Father is doing through him is revealing to them, to revealing to these 72, to revealing to the 12, to revealing through their ministry the unique revelation of who the Father is. This is what's happening. You see, we, we need to understand that Jesus is our standard for joy. The problem is not that we are so wanting to experience joy and we're not willing to experience suffering. I mean, that definitely can be a problem. The problem is we're not very good at experiencing suffering or experiencing joy. The, 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 one of the reasons we struggle, I think, in sharing our faith is because, well, we kind of feel guilty that we're not really too into our faith. Oh, we're, we're dutiful and we, we, we want to make sure people... Uh, come to church, and we want to make sure we go to church, and we serve well. And those are all really great things, but sometimes we just so lack joy that we think, well, I don't know if I'm going to be very convincing to anybody else. But the way that gets resolved is not for us to try to hype up joy. It doesn't really work. The way we, get, we, 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 we resolve that is to go back to what is Jesus, it seems to be calling the greatest joy, which is how could, what do I know about God through Jesus? 
See, the gospel isn't just about information about what Jesus did on a cross and, and through his resurrection. It's, it is that, but it's more than that. What, what, what the gospel about is, it's the good news of who God really is. And we know who God really is because he himself took on flesh, walked this, this, this earth. That the Father sent the Son. What motivates us to, to want to share Jesus with people is actually seeing Jesus for ourselves. We, I think we quoted this last week, but you guys remember in the book of Acts where the, uh, I think it's Peter and John are told no more preaching in Jesus. And they said, how can we not but speak of what we've seen and heard? They weren't just convinced of ideas. They knew Jesus personally and they thought there's no greater joy than knowing Jesus. And they were experiencing this thing. We have to share this even if we get beat up and thrown in jail for it. We got to tell people this. Now, now, this is not about us trying to, okay, I'll get joy so I can get to the end, and the end being, uh, I'll finally be a good witness. I'll finally be able to share some Jesus with somebody else. That's not the point here. Because the Bible says of Jesus that in, in, in the book of Hebrews that he endured the cross, despising its shame for this one reason. Why? For the joy set before him. What was the joy? The joy he had with the Father from eternity past, the joy he was going to return to, the joy that we would be brought into through his death and resurrection. See, Jesus calls us, he sends us so we can experience his joy. The Bible speaks of the Messiah in the book of Psalms, and I, I should have wrote the, the reference down, forgive me, but that, where it says that, that he was anointed with the oil of gladness beyond his peers. That's speaking of the Messiah. In other words, our, the Jesus we follow was Jesus, a man of joy. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, no doubt about it. But he was also a man of joy. Why? Because he thought life was kind of fun and frivolous? No, because he knew his father. He knew his father. That's why he was one of joy. In fact, when he says this, <clears throat> after he says this to the crowd, he's, he's He's, he's visibly rejoicing in what God's done in them and through them, through the sending out. Then, then it says in verse 23, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, just indicates probably just the 12. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I, I, can, I can just picture this, Jesus saying, and you guys, do you know how blessed you actually are? What, what, you've, what you've had in walking with me for the last three years? Did you understand what you've actually got to see? Now, the answer to that is at this point, no, they didn't. I can imagine them going, yeah, it's great, Jesus. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and we're kind of that way sometimes, too. But the point is that Jesus sends out so that we can experience his joy in being sent, the sent out one. We, we were called to partner with him in this great mission of, of bringing the truth of the good news of who God is out to the world. Why? Because he wants to bless us. He wants us to know how good he is in this. Does that mean it's always easy? Of course not. It wasn't easy for Jesus, was it? But it means we, we know something of God as we do it. John chapter 15, this is, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples on the night before he's going to be crucified. 
And he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, now it's important that we see when he's saying bear fruit, that the context is the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's love. It's love for one another. Okay? But anytime the, the fruit metaphor is used, it's important that we recognize what that is. What defines fruit as fruit, what makes fruit fruit, is that it has its seed in itself. And that what's in that seed is the potential for a new plant to be a new plant to be planted to grow and itself bear fruit. It's this idea of multiplication. Fruitfulness is multiplication. Okay. And so he says, "This glorifies God." Jesus says that you bear much fruit. Right. He says, "As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you." Think about it. How much does the Father love the Son? Is there ever a time when God the Father is? Sort of like, eh, about the sun. No. They're, they're so, they so love each other. There's such a, 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 in a mysterious way we can't even fully understand. There's this perfect love in the Godhead. And Jesus says, as the Father loves me, I've loved you. I've given you that love. He says, I want you to stay right there. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Notice that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In other words, it's not just I want you to have your own joyful experience. I want you, Jesus is saying, to know the joy that I've always known with my Father. I want you to know that I have now given you this position of being loved the way I've always been loved by my Father. And this is experience, listen, as we abide and bear fruit. As we say, Lord, I want to walk with you and I want to go with you. I want to be sent by you. I ask you guys to come back up for this last song. And we're going to sing this last song together as a way to prepare our hearts before we go to the Lord's table. And just before we sing this last song, I just, I just want to challenge you guys that are listening online. I want to challenge us that are here today to, to just simply answer a couple questions in our heart of hearts. Do we want to know Jesus? And, and I know that, that many of you who are listening, you guys that are here, you already know Jesus. So you're going, of course I want to know Jesus. I do know Jesus. But do you really want to know him? I mean, many of us in this room have been married for a long time. Do you really want to know your spouse? Well, I know my spouse. We've been together forever. Yeah, but do you want to keep knowing your spouse? Do you want to know them more? You're all blushing. That's funny. After all these years. Here's the reality. God calls us to a relationship where we get closer to him day by day. And we do that as we keep his commandments, specifically the commandment to go. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to go with Jesus? He wants to send us. He really does. He wants to go with us. He really does. He cares about people. He has all authority. And he wants us to experience his joy. Let's sing this last song in preparation for our hearts to go to the Lord's table.